Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Good morning. If you're listening to this in the morning, I am recording this in the morning. So I am saying good morning to you from where I am in space and time. I am recording this in my van. So we've got another episode of the other, the only human in the van. Um, and I wanted to just share on my commute today, one of my favorite methods to shift my brain from an inhuman story that I've been telling myself about some situation um, and shifting to find a more healing story. If this is the first time you're actually listening to me and you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, um, on this podcast a lot, I talk about how, um, in my opinion and in, in my experience, when I really look deep at what it is about my life, especially my work in healthcare, but really my life in general, what is it that is stressing me out? Um, what is it that's causing me um, to feel like frustrated and resentful or overwhelmed? Um, what is it that leaves me feeling kind of disconnected from other people? Um, um, I used to think it was sort of just the reality of my situation that was causing me to feel that way. It's like, well, I have too many patients and that's why I feel burnt out. Well, I have you know, um, I don't have enough good, helpful connections in my community. And that's why I feel disconnected. Or, you know, I don't know enough about medicine. And that's why I feel like a fraud all the time. And I feel like an imposter. So you see how it's like, I'm saying like, you know, well, this is just my reality. And this is, you know, my circumstance. And that is what's causing me to feel all these ways. And, um, that's so I'm just sort of stuck. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am just sort of stuck until I change my reality, you know, and people do all this, all this all the time. It's like, okay, this workplace, um, isn't working for me. Um, everything about this workplace is what's causing my burnout. And so I have to leave. And that the only way I could stop burning out is if I leave. And I'm not like anti-leaving. I think leaving is a really great idea for a lot of people if their job is not serving them. So if you have left, this is not like me shaming you for leaving. Um, it could have been a wonderful decision, right? And if you notice that you're kind of like perpetually, perpetually leaving things and there's sort of common elements um, that continue to bring you out in medicine, it's possible that in addition to things that are less than ideal about the workplaces you've been in, you may have common inhuman stories within you that are making that circumstance even worse. Okay. And so it's usually a combination of outside and inside that leads someone to feel burnt out. Right. Um, and you can see this because like there are three people who are working in the same department and one of them is feeling like super fulfilled and focused and enjoying their job. There could be another one that seems really burnt out. And um, sometimes that happens, right? 
Um, and maybe all of them then experience a period of stress, like say a pandemic happens and everyone's kind of spinning, but you notice like there are differences in how people approach a new situation, approach change. And a lot of that is not their personality or because some of those are like better humans than others. No, it, but it could be that some of them have been conditioned to believe more challenging and human stories that make life even harder for themselves. And it's usually like, you know, people who have been, um, you know, conditioned to believe that they're not good enough, like um, conditioned to believe a lot of shame stories or mistrust of yourself stories. If you're in a position where you're always trying to prove that you're good enough and you're always like mistrustful of your ability to handle situations, no matter where you go, it's going to be a challenge, right? And you're maybe trying to find security and comfort from the inside. Um, and that is beautiful. But if you keep looking for it and haven't found it, possibly it's because at least a part of this is an inside job. And it's about identifying those inhuman stories and seeing if that shifts your perception of your situation, of the world around you. Right. And that's kind of what we're talking about in human stories. So like someone who, for example, has tons of perfectionism, they're going to struggle pretty much at every job because perfect perfection is not a thing. So even a job they feel like, oh, this is really easy. And so I'll be able to do it perfectly. They're going to find a way to criticize themselves. Right. So <clears throat> we've been unearthing these inhuman stories. And you may be at a point now, if you've listened to a few of these episodes where you're saying, OK, so I see I'm like, you know, totally riddled with perfectionism and imposter syndrome and, and, you know, fear of uncertainty and whatever. Like, I'm okay. Now I'm aware of all these inhuman stories that I keep coming back to that tell me I'm not good enough, that tell me I can't trust myself. But now what do I do? And now I just feel like I'm stuck. Like, I, I, I try and tell myself, no, 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 you are good enough. And like, it's not working, right? And that's because it's, it's, it's something that takes time and takes some, you know, precision, I would say, some, um, you need some effective tools in your tool belt that will allow that old story to let go of you and leave room for your new story. So I wanted to focus on one set of strategies that have really, really helped me. So when I'm in the middle of a really inhuman story, it just helps me get clear on the facts. And you'll have heard me use this tool in several of the episodes before, but I wanted to do a whole episode that was just explicitly talking about this tool so that you can fully understand how you can apply it to your own life. And so, um, you know, the name of this tool or this strategy, um, I like to call it looking for the facts versus believing the story, facts versus story. Okay, and so um, what I mean by that is that um, your brain is always telling one story or another about your certain situation, whatever situation you're in right now, right? Um, it can feel super, super true, but that doesn't mean it's the only way to interpret any given situation. And so, um, one way to back up and back away and get some distance from the story that your brain has been telling you so far about a situation is just by breaking things down to the bare bone facts and really separating the facts of the situation from the story you've been telling. So I'm going to give a few examples just to make it super clear and give you and illustrate how you can do this. 
So the first example I want to give is like, so say you are looking at your inbox, whatever kind of work you do in healthcare, if it's your email inbox, if it's your EMR inbox, if it's like a literal like paper pack, uh, paper pile of stuff that you need to do. And so say you look at that, you know, pile of messages and um, your initial story is there's no way I'm going to get through this. Right. I, I, and if you've thought that yeah, you're the same as me, especially like coming back from vacation and you have like 200 messages and you're like, this is impossible. There's no way I'm ever going to get through this. And um, the problem with that story is when you think that story in your mind and you repeat that story to yourself, it induces in your body the emotion of like defeat, or at least in me, it would induce the emotion of defeat. Maybe for you, it would be a different emotion. It's good to check in and see. But for me, it would be defeat. There's no way I could do this. I feel defeat. And then I, um, so then what do I do out of that defeat? Well, I stop paying as close attention to what I'm doing. Um, I often will do more procrastinating. I'm checking my social media more. I'm maybe doing other extremely important tasks like, like cleaning my house or doing, you know, say I'm looking at my EMR inbox, suddenly my email inbox is super good because I've done a bunch of work there and I'm like, oh, well, I've got to get this done first. Like I'm procrastinating by doing other tasks um, because my brain has made my inbox an impossible task to do based on the story that there's no way I can get it done, right? And so the result of all of those procrastination avoidance actions is I make it way harder to finish my inbox. I make it almost pretty much impossible. I, I make it so there's no way I can finish my inbox because I'm literally not doing it. You see how it ends up shooting you in the foot? Um, and it's a protective story. It's a story that's, you know, based on our fear of failure. It's a story that's worth moving, though, because um, if we want to get stuff done, that's not a very helpful story to have living in us, right? So it's trying to protect us. We don't have to be mad at it. But how do we, like, back the train up? And one way is to say, okay, so I'm telling my, I've noticed that I'm telling myself a story that's based in defeat. I'm feeling defeated. So I'm telling myself a defeat based story that I can't get it done, that it's too hard, that it's too much. You know, all of the defeat thought cousins are all there together. This is hopeless. This is useless. This is a waste of time. You know, all of these are defeat thoughts, really. Um, and so how do I back up from those? And so one thing is to say, okay, Joan, what are like, the facts of the situation. Um, and so one way that works really well is just to like literally list the bare bones, like numbers and facts of the situation so that who, you know, any person on the planet would, would be able to agree on these facts. Like one way to say this, like you could defend it in a court of law. So, you know, it could be like, there are 251 messages in my EMR inbox right now. Like that's just like a straight fact, right? Um, it's not, there's so many, there's too many, there's an impossible number. It's what is truth like. There are 251 messages in my EMR inbox at this moment in time. Um, and you could even add like, I have one hour set aside to do this inbox. So like, you know, other facts that are relevant to the situation, right? Um, and so sometimes even that, right? So even like just doing that for myself. So it's like, okay, I have an hour. I have 251 messages. 
what's the story I'd rather tell myself, right? And if I have trouble, I'm like, yeah, but it's just too many. Yeah, but it's just like hopeless. Another way that you can kind of get distance from the current story is to ask yourself, what would someone else potentially say about the same set of facts? So now that we've drilled it down to 251 inbox messages, one hour of time to do my inbox, okay? Um, <clears throat> what's something that someone else could think about it? So like another person could look at that inbox and say, oh, um, this is easy. Usually I have 400 messages and, you know, because it kind of depends on what the messages are, frankly, right? Like if all you have to do is like click a checkbox and not do any tasks related to it, you could like blaze through a bunch of, in, you know, you could group archive a bunch of them, right? For me, as a primary care clinician in Ontario, um, there was a time where like a bunch of those messages would have been like vaccine notifications. And I found a way to like identify those and just like batch archive them because I didn't actually have to see them. I was like, thanks for the information, but I didn't have to do any actions based on them, right? So it's not like I have 251 heavy tasks to do. I'm actually not sure how many ta tasks I have really hidden behind those messages, right? That's actually what often makes the inbox a bit of like a minefield. It's like, okay, is this an easy one or is this one that's going to actually take me 30 minutes, right? It's that uncertainty that then makes us feel like it'll be too hard. You can even just clear on that, like 251 messages, some percentage of them will be like literally just view and then archive and some other percentage that I'm not aware of yet will require more time. Like, there's something about even just saying that and just reminding myself there will be some that are fast and there'll be some that are slower. It helps me get clear on the fact that, first of all, I won't necessarily complete all of those in an hour, right? And so, again, who would, what's another thing that someone else could think about the situation? Another person could think, oh, 251 um, messages is not possible in an hour. That doesn't mean anything bad about me as a person. It just means I probably will need more time. So I will see how many I get done in this hour. And then I will see when I can schedule more time for the rest. It doesn't have to be a problem, right? That's like something you could say to yourself. What if this isn't a problem? What if this is just what I have in front of me? I'll get what I have done. And then I'll see how much is left, right? Sort of having like a scientist's brain. What would like a scientist, like curious person think about this same set of facts that doesn't leave you defeated, but leaves you curious, right? Um, so that's the one example, using something very straightforward in terms of numbers. Um, another one that I find very powerful is if you're having a story about another person. So say um, you have a story, your brain is telling you the story that a patient's been really rude to you. And now I'm not saying it's bad or wrong or inferior to keep that story. If you really feel fine and calm and you're like, wow, that person was rude and I am good with that story and it is not keeping me up at night, it is not a problem in my life, then like that is a beautiful story to keep, no problem, right? I know for me, a lot of times if I have been in a situation and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, that person was so rude, I, I've got like how dare they energy and I'm replaying the situation. I'm really upset. It's, you know, causing me to lose sleep. It's causing me to dread the next time I see the patient. And so it's all that like impact it has on my life that makes me wonder, is there another story I could be telling that like eliminates all of that extra like drama from my life, 
right? It's not about like absolving if a person was rude or not. But if the story I'm telling myself from the jump is that person was so rude. So it's more like, how dare that person be rude or that person shouldn't have been rude. Like, and so that's why that I'm really chewing over it. It's like, they, they really disrespected me. Like kind of all of those sorts of stories that are like the emotion would be like resentment or anger, defensiveness, right? Um, when you have that story running, it's ruining your day. And so what are some facts about the situation that you are using to interpret how they treated you as rude? Right. Um, and shifting away from the rude story again, it's not to get them off the hook. It's not to um, gaslight yourself that, you know, it was actually a very common, serene situation, but it's just giving yourself some space so that your brain can be freed up from getting stuck in a how dare they story. Right. So what would be the brass tacks of a situation for someone was was your initial story is that they were rude. So it's like asking yourself, okay, so what is the evidence that you're using brain to come to the conclusion they were rude? And so sometimes it helps. Again, it's sort of like, you know, facts and figures. So um, they raised their voice towards me. They, their, their voice had a, a, a higher volume or shorter. Um, when I was speaking, they would often be speaking on top of me, so they were interrupting me, right? But even they're interrupting me, I guess, is up to interpretation. You could just say, like, they spoke at the same, they spoke five times at the same time I was speaking, right? Like, like I know it seems almost like pedantic, but it helps to get really specific, right? And say there was a specific phrase, or like, what kind of doctor do you think you are, you know, or something like that. And you're like, whoa, that was so rude. Like a way to get some distance from it is like counting. So it's like, what kind of doctor do you think you are? I'm like counting on the fly here, like nine words. So one story you could tell yourself out of that situation that would be more neutral is like the this person said nine words to me. Right. That is also true. Right. That is also true of the situation. That person said nine words in my presence. <laughs> and if that's the level it takes to feel to make it feel like um, less charged, that's really helpful. Like say it was in a, in a written message. It's like, I am looking at pixels on my screen right now, right? I am hearing, if it was in the room with you, I am hearing the patient say words to me. Patient said words. That can be like the level that allows you to feel like it's more neutral. And then you can ask yourself, what are what are just alternative stories, not even better stories, not like morally superior stories, but just like, let's flood our brain with like 10 different ways that someone could tell a story about that situation. And so, so one would be, you know, wow, they were being so rude when they said, what kind of doctor do you think you are or whatever, right? Um, another story could be from the patient's perspective. That's always a powerful one. So when this is something where it's happening between two people, how do I guess that that patient interpreted what they said, right? So maybe the patient interpreted as I was defending myself. I was advocating for myself or I was really upset. I don't even know what I said. You know, I was really hurting in that moment. And I said some things I didn't mean. Maybe the person's like, I immediately regretted I said it as soon as it came out of my mouth. Right. So they agree. Oh, that was really rude. And I really regret it. You know, 
And then does that give you some space to consider maybe that was a perspective or it's like this person was under the influence of a substance. They, it wasn't really them. It was the drugs talking. Like, I don't know. Like, right. It's like looking at and guessing and it's not about one of them being more true. It's about all of them being potentially true. And that just gives you space from the original, like how dare they be so rude to me story. Right. Um, and other ways. So it's like, you know, um, so say you were a clinician who like deals with people who have, you know, significant issues with anger all the time. And therefore you heard the phrase, like, you know, what kind of doctor do you think you are like literally 10 times a day? Would you keep telling yourself the same story of how dare they be rude to me? Or would you really understand like, okay, the population I work with has trouble with doctors, you know, <laughs> or with authority. Right. And so it's like, it is so not personal. Right. So as you see how like you have all of those options at your disposal and the way you start to identify what another story could be that you could start intentionally telling yourself on purpose, like repeating to yourself, writing down somewhere, however you do it, um, it helps to get kind of neutral and clear about the situation. Um, and so one last example I was thinking of was like about the healthcare system, right? So say you're noticing you, you're like a lot right now. I know I'm noticing it. So this is just like for me, for myself, like the healthcare system is falling apart. The healthcare system is in shambles. The healthcare system's a mess. Oh my gosh. And um, there is like solid evidence to support that story. Um, and I'm not saying like a better story would be like the healthcare system is thriving and doing super great. Like, I mean, you could tell that story too, right? Um, and whichever version I guess helps you feel better is wonderful. But I noticed that when I continually was like, oh, my gosh, the healthcare system's in shambles, it left me feeling, again, defeated, um, as well as like mistrustful. So then if I'm just like, oh, the healthcare system's a mess, then I actually show up in a way that's messier. I'm like second guessing, like, should I send this referral? Like, it's going to be such a long time. And I'm like delaying care for my patient or I'm. I'm like feeling so stressed that I'm not really listening to my patient because it's such like I'm just feeling like hopeless. And and therefore, me as a healthcare provider who's technically part of the healthcare system is a bit more in shambles than I would have been otherwise in that I'm not delivering as effective care when I'm not listening. Right. So, um, yeah, it helps me to step back from the healthcare system is in shambles story. The healthcare system is totally broken, like especially that black and white, like absolute thinking and trying to find a, a healthier middle ground that feels even more true, actually. And so I'm less hyper focused on just the pieces that are struggling right now. Right. And so um, say it helps to get clear, like, when did this story last arise in me? And it's like, OK, you know, um, I have a patient who has a neurological condition. And right now it is it is, in my experience, challenging to find a neurologist I have and like and so but trying to say that like even that is not technically neutral because not everyone would necessarily agree with it right so like a neutral way could say to say it is like right now in my town there are I believe two I think two neurologists working and the last and I could go back and count if I wanted the last 20 or the last 10 times I attempted to refer to each of these two neurologists, they declined the referral. I could list the number. So say for one patient, I have referred this patient to, there's one patient where it is, I think like 
I should look at it because my brain wants to say 10, but I'm like, is there any way it's actually 10? I don't think so. I think we're at maybe number five. So, right. So it's like, okay, your brain wants to overestimate just to really make it dramatic and clear that things are a problem. It really wants to set that alarm off really loudly, but really what are the facts of this one situation, this one time, not the whole list, but just right now in this moment with this patient, how broken is the system around them? There are pieces that are not working well. This is our fifth referral to find a neurologist, for example. Um, it's okay to feel not great about that. I think it would be kind of odd to be like happy about that, right? So, but when we feel like now the sky is falling because of that, that's when we start to fall, our sky falls, and then we are no longer available to be effective caregivers to ourselves as well as our patients, right? So, so what are the facts? The facts are, this is the fifth neurologist I have referred this patient to for have declined for various reasons. What are some other facts? Um, they have come to see me this many times. They have seen, I could ask myself different facts, like are there other healthcare providers that are involved in their care? They are seeing um, a physiotherapist. They are seeing a counselor. Like who else? Um, I have nurses that they see. I have friend staff that they see. Like really kind of asking like, okay, let's flesh out the facts of the healthcare system around this person, private and public, you know? And um, when I do that, there are gaps. I do think there are gaps of people where it would be very useful to have them involved in the care, but it's not a full broken system. You know, if nothing else, here I am doing my best, right? And so it you can see how, again, getting clear on the facts, getting clear on what's going on, asking yourself, what would someone else in the same situation, what story would they tell about it? If, if there's a situation with another person saying, what would they possibly think about the situation? Would they interpret it the same way? It is so useful to get yourself a little bit of that space from your original story, not to judge your original story, understanding your original story was there as a protective mechanism conditioned over time as a way to keep yourself feeling safer and more secure. But then it just gives some space to let it go. It gives you some safety internally to know there are many ways to interpret the situation. What's a way that will allow me to show up as my best self with this person today? So there you go. If you're stuck in an inhuman story and feeling like you can't get clear on what, how to see it differently, my invitation to you is to step back and ask yourself, okay, what are just like the bare bones facts, the neutral facts of the situation? And once you get those neutral facts, you can ask yourself, what are some other ways that someone could interpret those same, the same facts? Um, a good one that I've heard is like, just picking celebrities, you know, what would Beyonce think of these facts? She'd be like, that's not my problem. I'm a celebrity, you know, <laughs> but even just like make yourself laugh, but get some distance from it. Right. Um, this is a process that's so powerful and you absolutely can do it on your own. You know, you write out your story, you step back, what are the facts? And then you ask yourself, what are some other ways I could tell a story, not good or bad, but different. And sometimes we're so close to a story that we have trouble seeing and we're just sort of spinning in it. And so that's an opportunity to work with someone else. And so, um, please um, reach out to me, email, Instagram, just like send me your story. And I just love doing this work. So I, I'll work with you there just like via text if you want. Um, I continue to offer 
free coaching sessions, like one-time coaching sessions. So if you want to use your one-time coaching session that's free of charge with me, we could do some of this work if you have like an inhuman story you've been carrying a long time, but you're just having trouble seeing another way to view it. I would love to work with you on that. Okay. And so, um, yeah, you can find the links of how to reach out to me in the show notes of this episode. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Understanding wonderful day is a story you could tell yourself about any day. Um, And I hope that this exercise makes that day, the facts of this day, a little clearer and makes your, therefore, your experience of the day a little lighter. Take care. I would love to hear from you. Please share your human moments in medicine with me on Instagram at joanchanmd or on my website, joanchanmd.com. On my website, you can also find other restorative medical education offerings I have, including one-on-one coaching opportunities and skill-building workshops. I look forward to connecting with you there.